Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. This sermon is part of our mission to bless our neighbors to the glory of God. We hope it blesses you. Hey, our show and tell is already on the screen because I'm going to tell you about this painting that has been up there when we don't have other words up on the screen. And this is a painting of today's scripture reading by an artist named Fritz von Uda. That's German. That's as close as I can get. Um, he lived about 150 years ago, and he painted in this painting style called Impressionism. And so if you, if you go home and Google Impressionism, you will get all kinds of paintings that look similar to this in style. Um, and the idea with Impressionism is to get not like every single detail of the scene, like you're taking a photograph. Impressionism tries to give you just kind of a sense of like the feeling of the scene. And so this is like a sense of the feeling of what it might have been like to be there listening to Jesus give the teaching that he's about to give to us in the scripture. Um, now, a lot of Impressionism is about nature, so it's lots of pictures of like trees and flowers and landscapes and stuff like that. Um, uh, Fritz von Uda uh, painted a lot of people. And he uh, painted especially a lot of religious subjects, scenes from the Bible. And so he said, um, other impressionists painting nature, they try to capture the light of nature, sort of the way nature just kind of glows, like, like the way even right now, if you look out at the snow and the snow on the trees and all that, like it's just like shiny, right? Um, well, even uh, when it's not covered in snow, nature kind of has that light, but Fritz, our painter, said people have that light too. So when he paints people, he tries to capture the light that kind of shines from inside them, and especially when he's painting people like Jesus. So um, the people facing us in this picture up on the screen, uh, the people facing us are kind of like us. They're the listeners to what Jesus is saying. And that's Jesus sitting down there. You can't actually see a lot of him because you're behind him, right? But he's got this energy as he's teaching, and that's kind of what he wanted to convey, was the energy of Jesus teaching this crap. Um, so Jesus is very excited about what he's about to say. I'm sure you are also very excited about what Jesus is about to say, and I know Bruce is excited to tell us. Scripture reading is from Matthew 5 verses 1 through 20 on page 4 or 5 in your New Testament in your pew Bible. Please follow along or read with me as I read. I need all the help I can get. <clears throat> when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. They began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke or of, of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I am grateful that our volunteer mission co-worker Kathy Bassett is in El Salvador right now posting blog updates from her visits to Berlin and the cantons surrounding the town. One of the things on our long list of goals for the year is another delegation to visit our friends in San Isidro. Those visits and Kathy's blog posts, they connect us with some of our most inspiring neighbors in Christ. But I've got to be clear about why it is that our neighbors in San Isidro are so very inspiring. And it is because history has required them to be so inspiring because centuries of colonialism created the poverty that our neighbors in San Isidro live in. And so that is not in any way to justify generational systemic poverty such as exists there in San Isidro, and it is not at all to imply that they somehow are than we are. But it is to say that that history of exploitation and violence has a way of placing our neighbors in San Isidro in a position that is uniquely open to the kingdom of heaven. 
that is uniquely open to the kingdom of heaven. Now, in last week's scripture reading, Jesus announced that the kingdom of heaven has come near, and today he talks to us about where to find it. In this famous teaching that we call the Beatitudes, the word Beatitude is from the word for blessed, and it begins with this important scene and stage directions. Jesus is surrounded by a crowd, just as I am right now, and he goes up a mountain that I imagine is probably higher than this one, and he begins teaching. And he sounds a whole lot like Moses, centuries before him, giving the law. We read just a few months ago about Moses giving the Ten Commandments the beginning of the law, or a better word than law is teaching. CPW, you've been reading a lot about how those Ten Commandments and that law is really a teaching of how God calls us to be in the world. The law was never meant to restrict and to condemn. It was always there to create space for freedom in the world, the freedom to serve only God. Jesus announces that space, that reality where we have that freedom to serve God and God alone. Jesus announces that reality all over again. He says, I'm not here to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. He's here to inaugurate this heavenly kingdom that the law and the prophets pointed to, a realm where we are free for God's will to be done among us. And Jesus has begun gathering a people to embody that kingdom of heaven. He has called four whole disciples so far in the story. Four fishermen that he called away from their boats to come be his disciples. And then he went teaching and healing. And that teaching and that healing gathered a whole crowd of people to him. And so there's the crowd following Jesus, a crowd full of people who have lived with chronic illness, who have been oppressed by invisible powers, who have suffered from neurological or mobility disabilities. He's followed by this crowd of misfits. And Jesus calls his four disciples aside up the mountain, and he explains to them who this crowd is. He says, blessed are these poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Blessed are you. Jesus' ministry has attracted some of society's most needy and desperate people. And Jesus says, rejoice and be glad because being desperate is great news. Now, lest we forget, that statement too fulfills the law and the prophets, as Jesus said. Good news for your desperation is the core of what God has been saying all along from the very beginning of God's relationship with humanity. Righteousness, as Jesus says, is all about taking the side of the weak 
choosing sides with that weakness and that need. And Jesus calls this crowd blessed because of the situation that they are in. The situation that this crowd is in makes them more open to God's reality, certainly more open than I would ever strive to be to God's reality because they have no other good option than the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says we are blessed because when we truly feel the need for something, that is when we will actually invest in a world that makes that something real. That is good news. Now, the Bible lets us wonder a little bit about whether Jesus said thing to the whole crowd or just to those four disciples that he had attracted so far, but Matthew certainly uh, suggests to us that the whole crowd by the end of this long sermon that we're going to hear for four weeks, by the end of that sermon the whole crowd has heard it and so have we. So this is good news to you. This is good news to you. If you are feeling desperate today, Jesus' teaching is a call to choose sides with those who are desperate. So if you are feeling desperate today, it's your brokenness, your mourning, your hunger for justice. That is what points to the kingdom of heaven. If you are not feeling desperate today, there is still good news among us. All we have to do is look for those who are desperate today. They are God's chosen among us. And Jesus' teaching serves to remind us, too, that we also, even if we are not right now desperate or mourning today, we will be when our time comes. And that, too, is part of the upside-down blessing that Jesus pronounces. So I want to be clear what Jesus is saying here. God does not intend for us to live with hunger or disease or grief or injustice. God always intends abundance and wholeness and peace and joy for God's people. But God also gives us a sense of hunger, a sense of sorrow, a sense of rage so that Everything within us, our body, our spirit, our mind, can all reach for the kingdom of heaven. And we can cultivate ways of life that tend to reach toward that heavenly kingdom, but I am really struck as I read this list of blesseds. I am really struck by how much of these sound like situations. I'm really struck by how circumstantial these beatitudes sound like they are. Mourning and longing for righteousness, even peacemaking, is a response to the situation at hand. And then Jesus goes on to talk about salt and light, and he is talking about not things that we can do for ourselves. He's talking about gifts that God gives to and through us. All along, Jesus has been talking about God. All along, Jesus has been talking about God's future breaking into the world today, which is what Jesus means when he says the kingdom of heaven, that is God's future breaking into our world. 
That kingdom is not something that we can build for ourselves. That kingdom is always only something that God is doing through us and among us and always from beyond us. And that's why Jesus points toward these poor, these humble, these grieving, because it is among these blessed ones that Jesus' ministry will unfold most clearly. It is among those who are poor, humble, grieving in need that we will be able to see what Jesus is actually doing. And that's why we turn our attention toward our neighbors in El Salvador. That's why we turn our attention toward our neighbors in nursing homes or elementary schools, because the kingdom of heaven is uniquely visible among those vulnerable in our world. And that's why Jesus pronounces that blessing that we can hardly hear when it is actually about us. Blessed be your grief. Blessed be your grief. Blessed be your longing for righteousness. Blessed even be your suffering. For in that, Jesus will bring his kingdom. That's Jesus the one whose life breaks into the world when we most desperately need it, when we most desperately long for the kingdom of heaven. To God's glory. Amen. And now, a moment for mission. Today, we lift up per capita. We celebrate the ways in which our gathering together makes Christ's church possible. And one of the ways that we do that is through our generous support of the Presbyterian Church USA, that denomination we are part of, in the form of per capita giving. This is a funding model that asks every congregation to support the work of our presbytery, our synod, and our national church in proportion to the number of members we have. These gifts are part of our call to be all one church, one community across this nation. Through our gifts, we support presbytery and synod meetings. We support regional and national staff who support the well-being of our congregations, and we support the shared work that makes us Presbyterian. We have here a video from the Reverend Wilson Kennedy in Richmond, Virginia. He's going to tell us about what Per Capita does. Mason, may I have the video? Per Capita is the quintessential way Presbyterians continue our mission and ministry in the world. Your support helps us live out the actions of the General Assembly, participate in ecumenical and interfaith dialogues and action and enables us to be creative and nimble in our service to Jesus Christ. We give per capita because we believe that we are stronger together. We give per capita because we understand that Christ calls us all to the work of ministry. Therefore, we support one another and trust one another with the proper funds to do our work with glad and generous hearts. We give per capita so that the work of reformation might continue through our hands and our feet. We see evidence of this work through my committee, the Committee on the Office of the General Assembly, who has begun to revitalize the General Assembly meeting so that all Presbyterians are heard and all Presbyterians can participate in ways that honor every person and welcome every voice. 
Covenant pays per capita of $47 per member to support the Des Moines Presbytery, the Synod of Lakes and Prairies, and the General Assembly. That comes from our annual budget. If you want to offset that cost, all you need to do is write per capita in the memo line of your contribution. We dedicate those contributions and all of today's offering with gratitude for all the work of the Presbyterian Church USA that your per capita supports. Thank you for listening. Learn more about our mission at wdmcovenant.org.